What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Matt is going to be joining me in just a minute to talk about a awesome NFL draft full of twists and turns and all sorts of surprises that we're going to break down for you today. Also coming off of a really horrendous sports Sunday for yours truly, I, I think I'm probably the only person in the world who is a Kings fan and a Boston Bruins fan uh, for basketball and hockey. And I had to watch my teams lose game sevens back to back on Sunday uh, in brutal, brutal fashion, especially for the Boston Bruins. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit today, as well as worst sports losses ever, uh, along with all of our draft stuff. This is going to be the last draft podcast. And then next week, we have Clint and Devin joining us to start going over the NBA playoffs again. So uh, four-man booth next week with some fan favorites. Really looking forward to that one. But for now, Matt and I are talking about the NFL draft. Let's go. All right, Matt is here. And Matt, thank God we're talking about the NFL draft today because after the sports Sunday that I had this past weekend, we were this close to not having a podcast. Like if we were talking, if this was a hockey podcast, it would, there would just wouldn't be a podcast anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a rough, rough weekend for you. If the Patriots didn't exist. I thank God the Patriots had a good draft because if I had to get on here after like I said this in the opening that I'm probably the only person in the world whose favorite NBA team is the Kings and favorite hockey team is the Bruins. But to have to watch my two teams blow game sevens back to back with the Bruins being in like the most grueling, brutal fashion was bad enough. But at least I have Christian Gonzalez to fall back on <laughs> and the rest of the Patriots draft. Because like if we had picked Cole yeah. Strange this year, it would have been over for me. I would, I just wouldn't have been here. You would have been doing this by yourself today. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be far less entertaining because it would just be one dude talking the entire time, which I don't know. I guess some podcasts pull that off, but it's pretty fucking hard. The, the title of the episode would just be an ode to Jamar Gibbs, and it would just be a half yeah. an hour of Matt talking about the Lions draft class. I was thinking about this over the weekend because the Bruins collapse is maybe the worst Boston sports loss since the 18 and one Patriots. What is like for you personally, what was your most brutal sporting event or sports day because Sunday was definitely like in the top five for me. I think it's still Robert Ori. Just don't leave Robert Ori. That's like the one rule when he's on the floor. Don't leave Robert Ori. God damn. <laughs> I have such a love-hate relationship with Rashid Wallace because of that one moment. <laughs> yeah, for me, it'll always be 18 and one because like yeah, literally like 18 and one. I can't even think about it without getting sick to my stomach. But like this Bruins one yeah. was the Bruins one was bad. Yeah. Man. To set the record for most wins in a season, most points in an NHL season. 
to be up three to one and then to be up one yeah. goal with one minute left in game seven and to lose it's, it's so bad it is i don't know if it's you know it wasn't that long ago we lost game seven of the nhl finals at home mm-hmm. to the st louis blues and like this sounds dumb but i honestly feel like this past sunday was worse than losing game seven at home in the stanley cup finals like i feel like people are probably going to gr- like grill me for that but i don't dude it this one hurt and it might be recency bias but i feel like it's really bad the most recent wounds are always the ones that hurt the most because they haven't had time to heal. It was tough. It was a tough weekend. And the worst part was that I watched Sacramento uh, lose right before that. It was like literally like the Kings game was on at 3.30. Yeah. And then as soon as that was over, my wife and I took uh, our kid and our dog for a walk and came back just in time for the Bruins to start. And I had to sit down and watch the Bruins lose too. So... Honestly, I kind of feel bad for Marley there because obviously she's got to take care of a baby. Babies cry. And then she's got to take care of your kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She also had to take care of my child. So, uh, but luckily this is not a hockey podcast and I have a week until we have to talk about basketball again. So I feel like I have (laughs) ample recovery time. Like if we ever are making enough money from this podcast to do it full time. And I have to do like live reactions after games, dude, like the live reactions Sunday night podcast would have been an all timer for the fans. But let's get into the good stuff. Let's get into the NFL draft because it was it was a really good one. A lot Mm -hmm. of twists and turns, a lot of unexpected events, especially on Thursday, Uh, I think there were multiple points at the first round where you and I were just at a complete loss for words. No, I think that happened like what? Six or seven times in the first round alone. Yeah, it happened six or seven times. It happened almost immediately. Uh, So Carolina takes Bryce young number one, which was the expected pick. That's what we thought would happen. It's the right pick. I think in both of our opinions, and then Houston gets on the clock at number two and picks CJ Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State. I missed the boat on that one. <laughs> you and literally every other person who has talked about the draft this year. Yeah. That was the last thing that I expected to happen. Like, I expected the Lions picking Gibbs at 12 more than I expected that, and I could not have fathomed it. <laughs> it was absolutely stunning for multiple reasons, but like the main one being that they that Houston did like an elite job of smoke screening. Yeah, because it's pretty obvious that this was always the plan at this point for them, and like CJ Stroud was not linked to Houston one time during the evaluation process, like to the point where Houston was reportedly fully out on Stroud. Yeah. And it was believable because like you brought this up on the podcast a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, he has the same agent as Deshaun Watson and it's like, okay, yeah, it makes a lot of sense why they wouldn't want him. And it's just yeah. every single report coming out is like, 
oh yeah, all the teams in the top four are out on him. They like Will Levis. That like, should have been like our signal though that like something weird was going on. Has there the- ever been a prospect who got more buzz and more hype than Will Levis not go in the first round at all? Because he he was linked to like seven different teams. Yeah. And multiple teams picking high. Like multiple respected NFL reporters were saying there is absolutely no way this dude gets out of the top four. I don't think there has ever been a smoke screen as strong as those two were. It was a pretty convincing job that the Colts were in all the way in on Will Levis from the start and never wavered. And they didn't really take too much time turning in that card for Anthony Richardson. No, but like, I mean, so think about the smoke screens at the top of this draft and like the elite work that was done by these front offices. Yeah. And like, honestly, front offices that typically in the past have not done that great of a job in the Colts and the Texans and the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks have done a good job in the past, but like that was another stunner seeing Witherspoon go at five. Like that was completely unexpected as well. Yeah. But like, especially because he's like the opposite of what they normally go for at a corner. But especially with the quarterbacks, it's like, Levis was guaranteed top four. Mm-hmm. Houston was completely out on Stroud. And Anthony Richardson was the one who was supposed to fall. And there was multiple reports, like even Wednesday last week, the day before the draft, that Richardson did not have a suitor in the first round, much less in the top four. Which, yeah. you know, we we had uh, in our mock draft actually had Richardson going to uh, the Colts. Yeah. At four. Uh, so good job by us. But mm-hmm. I, I was like back to the Stroud thing. Completely stunned. I think yeah. we, we were texting each other like back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden it's just complete silence <laughs> until like the next pick was announced. It's like, uh, what do we say here? Like everything I had believed heading into that draft was turned upside down by the second pick. And uh, what I will say about that pick is that it pretty much proved (laughs) what I should have always believed about the Texans ownership is that they learned nothing (laughs) from Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying that CJ Stroud is going to go out and do anything like that. However, I don't think it's unlikely that his personality becomes a problem. Yeah, I I don't love the spot for Stroud. Uh, Nope. Not only because neither of us are that high on Stroud, but kind of what I wanted to happen to him for his sake was for him to be the one that fell down the board a little bit. Yeah, I think he needed some humble pie. He does. Uh, And to be picked second, only behind Bryce Young. Yeah. Man, I feel like that's going to go to his head. Uh, Mm -hmm. So as if the Stroud thing is not stunning enough, while Matt and I are trying to recover from Houston (laughs) picking Stroud at two, 
Houston pulls a bang bang and trades up to the number three pick to draft again. It's like, they're like, Houston's back on the clock. And I'm like, oh, ABC messed up the graphic. And then it's like, nope, Houston's back on the clock. Uh, and they, they took the guy that we thought they would take, or like at least one yeah. of the more reasonable options in Will Anderson. Yeah. But this seems like it had to be some kind of compromise with ownership to be like, ownership's like, we have to get our quarterback of the future. Like now mm-hmm. we cannot go another season with Davis and like the coaching staff and Casario and j- just like knowing Casario from his time in new England, Will Anderson's like a very Casario pick CJ Stroud. Yeah. In my opinion is not. So I think Stroud is more ownership, but the compromise is probably like, okay, we'll take the quarterback. If you guys sign off on us trading all this stuff to get back up to three, so we can get the guy that we really want and everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. I absolutely despise this move by the Texans. If we, we don't really do like winners and losers in the draft on the podcast because like, uh, instant reaction grades are kind of stupid, but I hate this so much. How did you feel about what Texans did? Well, uh, for about a good 48 hours, I was just (laughs) stunned and didn't have any coherent thoughts on it. But the more time I've had to let it sink in, like I, I agree with you that they are just, their roster is bad and they need more guys. And while I think that Will Anderson could be an incredible weapon for them on defense, giving away their own pick next year is a huge mistake. And it is entirely possible that that pick ends up being number one or two next year. You're telling me if you're sitting in that situation next year, Caleb Williams or Drake May doesn't sound a little bit more appealing to you than CJ Stroud after you watch her him probably not handle adversity very well for an entire year. And, you know, I, I, I will say I could be entirely wrong on Stroud. Maybe he decides to act like an adult once he gets to the NFL. Um, but you are a team that needed to rebuild and you gave away an incredibly valuable asset to get one player. You gave away potentially the most valuable asset that we've had in like four years, like since the yeah. Trevor Lawrence pick, yep. basically. Next year's draft is like loaded at the top. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned oh, Caleb, yeah. Caleb Williams and Drake May, but even beyond them, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is starting to look like the best mm-hmm. wide receiver prospect we've had since Calvin Johnson. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. Obviously, it's gonna everything is gonna be completely upside down, different than what we know right now. By the time we get to the draft next year, but the fact that you gave away your first. Mm-hmm. when you have a bottom five roster in the NFL. Absolutely blows my mind. You have like, what, three more years of Cleveland's picks? I When I you saw the trade... You gotten it done with that? So the trade was number 12, 
number 33, which is like still a pretty premium pick. It yeah. was the, the second pick in the second round. It's it's all but a first round pick. And then next year's first and next year's third. And when I saw that trade, I was like, okay, I thought it was Cleveland's pick. And I was like, that's still kind of a lot, but it's okay. Cause you know, Cleveland, I don't know. The pick's probably going to be like somewhere between 10 and 15 or something like that next year. Yeah. And then I found out it was their pick. The Arizona Cardinals now have the best odds to have the number one and the number two pick next year. I'm still at a loss for words of how you could do this. Like, how does the Cleveland pick not get that done when you're giving up 12 and 33 and a third next year, which is probably going to be like a high third. Those two guys better ball out this year because it's, if they don't, it's going to look rough next year. Cause those two players kind of need to carry the roster. I mean, basically they have to be elite level players to justify this move. Yeah. Like, I'm not even Which, just saying next yeah. year. I'm saying like I, to trade mm-hmm. up, even just taking CJ Stroud out of the equation, trading yeah. all of that to get Will Anderson. If that pick turns into Marvin Harrison Jr. or God forbid, Caleb Williams. Anderson's basically going to have to be generational for yeah. this to be worth it. And like to have that kind of pressure on someone. Yeah. Like if mm-hmm. Caleb Williams is the dude we think he is, Will Anderson mm-hmm. can be a generational edge player yeah. and maybe still not be good enough to justify this trade. Like it is that bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just ask you is like prime JJ Watt take away the injuries. Is that worth giving up the opportunity for Caleb Williams or Drake may? It's going to be one of those things that we don't know until years from now. Yeah. Because it's going to be completely dependent on how good the guys are that are taken with those picks. Yeah. Like, if they say it ends up being like the number two pick and they use it to take Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. And he turns into like Justin Jefferson. I I mean, I guess you could like make the argument if it's a wide receiver. But like if it turns into Caleb Williams and he ends up being like a top five quarterback in the NFL. No. Yeah, it's not worth having prime JJ Watt as great as JJ Watt was like mm-hmm. if that pick turns into an elite yeah. quarterback for the Cardinals, this is an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, especially considering that if you're Houston, you could have just fucking had that guy. <laughs> yeah. So I oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, that that was kind of my thing is. I thought they had learned something. I thought Nick Casario was, and maybe this was what he wanted to do was take the defensive player punt on this year because it it would have been impossible for them to nail this draft so hard that you look at this season and say, Hey, I feel pretty good about us getting to the playoffs this year. Like that their roster was, just straight up bad 
it made a lot of sense to just keep the picks you have, take your chance at getting a quarterback. And, like, especially with Kyler Murray being out pretty much all this year, like, the Cardinals very likely could end up with the number one pick. And if they are still in on Kyler Murray with all the picks that you have, you have a leg up on everybody else to go get Caleb Williams, even if you don't get the number one pick, because obviously everyone else will be calling about him. So it feels a lot like what you said is that ownership made this call for the front office because I can't imagine why the front office would do this unless they were told that they do not have the time. So if you're like the Lions, like we'll use your team as an example, a team who is borderline playoff team last year, you know, maybe borderline contender this year and you're still picking high. Like if the Lions had traded up to three to get Anderson and had given up like, you know, six and 18 and a future pick, I'd be like, okay, like, you know, if Brad Holmes looked at it and was like, okay, that's the guy we need to go get to put us over the top. That's one thing, especially because like their picks not going to be spectacular next year. It's probably going to be low twenties at the lowest, but to do this and have like, I'm, I'm looking at their roster it's like your wide receivers are Nico Collins, John Mechie, and Robert Woods. Yeah. And I love me some Nico Collins, but he's on his best day. He's a wide receiver three right now. But like <laughs> you're bringing in Stroud and you don't even have anyone to throw to. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not like, you know, I'll use your team again. It's like the Lions, you bring someone in and it's like, okay, we got Amon Ross St. Brown. We have uh, Jameson Williams yeah. for, you know, 11 games unless he gets caught gambling again. Um, I hope he won his bet, by the way. Whatever he bet on, I hope he won. Yeah. He probably bet on Stroud to go second, and he's just like, <laughs> no, nah, it's it's worth the game checks, man. I fucking nailed this. No, the best part is it like it wasn't even like NFL related. No, no, I don't. Well, if it was, he would have got the Calvin Ridley treatment, right? Right. So, and then he'd have to play for the Jags next year, and God, who wants that? But... Like if it was your team and you're like bringing in a quarterback and like if you had traded up and gotten Richardson, yeah. right? I would have understood that. I'd be like, okay, like mm-hmm. it's a quarterback of the future. You, you're going to develop him behind yeah. golf. You're going to do whatever. But just to be a bottom five team and to just not have the awareness of like, we are a bottom five team. Like did, did they calculate the value of next year's pick as a bottom five pick? Or were they just like, nah, we're going to get these guys. We're going to be good. It's not going to matter. Because that's when teams really start messing up. Yeah. We see it in every sport. When you go all in, when you are bad and you think it's going to make you good, Mm -hmm. like you should go all in when you're good and you're trying to get pushed over the top. You should not go all in when you're bad and you're trying to get good. Like that is when teams really make mistakes. Well, I think part of what it might have been too is that they probably looked at that division last year and they're like, man, like everyone, but the Jaguars really kind of fell off. So like maybe if we go all in this year, like we have a shot 
The answer to that is no, you do not. <laughs> uh, I fully expect the text, the Titans to be better than they were last year, even with everything that they were dealing with injury-wise last year and the GM malpractice that was their wide receiver room. They still were playing for the division title the last game of the year. Uh, I expect the Colts to be more competitive this year just from the standpoint of they have far better talent at quarterback, and that can kind of open things up for their giant weapon of a running back. And I expect their offensive line to be better because they've had an offseason to get healthy. So... Like, and the Jags did nothing this year to get worse. So, yeah, I mean, let's not mince words. The Texans won like two games last year. This is not going to push you over the top. They are trash. We spent 20 minutes bashing the Texans uh, as if they didn't have a bad enough season last year. It's like some of their fans are probably like excited. They're like, oh man, yeah, we got the second and the third pick. That's awesome. I'm excited. And then they're going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh fuck. <laughs> it's going to be another bad one, guys. Uh, the last pick I want to talk about real quick before we get into what we liked and what we didn't like is just yeah. the uh, Colts take Richardson. Mm-hmm. I thought absolutely the right move by the Colts. Like hats off to them. And like we said, like another great smokescreen because everybody thought it was going to be Levis. Uh, so I was a little caught off guard by that, but I I like it. I thought it was the right pick for them. We we were pretty clear about how high we were on Richardson and why we were high on Richardson. And I will continue to pound the table uh, for the fact that he is not nearly as raw as uh, armchair talent evaluators seem to think he is uh, because of the progression that you could see throughout the season and the fact that he really didn't repeat the same mistakes as the season went on. Don't know that he's necessarily going to look particularly good week one, but... I think there's going to be a lot of people who are excited about him around week 16, 17, 18. It's a lot of time for him to actually figure out how to play quarterback. Yeah, I I see Gardner Minshew being their starting quarterback to start the season. Yeah. Which is like, it's fine. It's not like the Colts are going to be contenders this year either way. No, Um, but man, he, he could look rough in preseason. Yeah, I'm sure he'll yeah. look rough to start, but yeah. I I expect Richardson to yeah. be starting by the end of then, the season, at least like yeah. when they get eliminated from by the week eight. Attention. He'll be doing his 360 no scope, and then people will be like, "Oh yeah, I like that." Like that dude, really freaking talented. <laughs> so, um, I like that. But let's get into other picks and classes that we like. Yeah, uh, we'll just go back and forth. It can be. A uh, certain pick or a trade or a class. What's something that you liked? I fucking love what the Steelers did. Mm, I had I had them on my list too, actually. And yeah. I was thinking and by about love, it. I mean absolutely fucking hate it because they took 
players that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was writing <laughs> the names down on the list. Like I was listing all the players that the Steelers took today. And I was like, this is like the Matt's entire list from the players we liked podcast. Yeah. So uh, really the last couple of years, we have just absolutely pounded the Steelers for not going offensive line. Um, and they they did. They went and they got themselves an offensive tackle this year. And they got themselves a pretty talented one in Broderick Jones. Uh, there's a lot of molding that can be done with him. I think he's still going to start off pretty solid. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of room for improvement there, but we pounded them for taking a running back when they had a horrible offensive line and then not addressing it the next year. And, well, now they went, they got a guy, and they're helping the running back, they're helping the quarterback. Um, That was huge. Uh, You know what's, like, they, funny, though, is that I know you're you're going to name this name in a second, so I, yeah. I don't mean to jump ahead, but mm-hmm. they drafted Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia, yeah, as well. He may actually be a better run blocker than Broderick <laughs> Jones is like this year. So I was kind of thinking about it, and Darnell Washington is a capable pass catcher. Like he's never going to be spectacular. I mean, he's more than likely like going to have a Darren Fells type of career with maybe a bit more pass catching, but like. People fucking loved Darren Fells because he was good at the one thing he did. Uh, but man, like, he's so big already. Could he not just make more money by adding, what, 30 pounds and being an offensive tackle? Because he can play offensive tackle. I Maybe he does, but... I, I was just thinking about it from the fact that Pittsburgh was on my list too. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it from the fact that like, he's going to be such a good run blocking tight end mm-hmm. and how much it's going to help Pickett and Najee Harris to have not only a, now a good offensive tackle mm-hmm. in Broderick Jones, but then a guy who can block like that yep. because one of the things that was, and I, I'm absolutely not comparing Darnell Washington to this player, but one of the things that was so valuable about Rob Gronkowski in new England was that they were like basically when he's on the field and we're running, it's mm-hmm. like having a six offensive lineman out there. Yeah. And it makes the run game so much easier. And so like from the blocking perspective, I could see that with Darnell Washington. Like I could see the run yeah. game really having some juice this year that it hasn't had the last couple of years, even though they have a good back. Yep. You you mentioned Washington. Uh, we all knew Joey Porter Jr. was going to end up there. Uh, they, they needed a corner. They got their corner. His dad doesn't have to wear a Ravens jersey, which is something that I really honestly wanted to see. Uh, but it, he's a good fit for their play style, and there's a big need. Uh, Keanu Benton, I glowed about him a couple weeks ago. And who does he get to play next to as a rookie? Cam Hayward, who is my comp for what he can be? Cam Hayward. So, like, a top five defensive lineman in the NFL. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like, I like the Joey Porter Jr. pick. Uh, I would have liked it if they would have stayed. What were they at, like, 18 or something in the first round? Uh, yeah, 17. something like that. If they would have stayed there and taken Joey Porter Jr. there, I would have been like, thumbs up, that's a good pick. So getting him in the top of the second, it's like it's not only just that it's a good pick from a player position, but also the fact that like now Joey Porter Jr. gets to play for the same franchise his dad played for. Right. Super interesting. Yeah. And then he they got a really steal that is probably a little bit of a project. There might be some medical stuff going on that we weren't aware of, but Corey Trice is a height, weight, speed guy at cornerback, and his tape was pretty solid. Uh, I I thought he was more of like a third-round guy, but I could see like his his size pushing him up for like early second. Maybe someone gets crazy, pulls a Raiders, and takes him in the first, like Damon Arnett, but he dropped to the seventh. And if he's healthy, that kind of talent, that weight, like that's a guy who could develop into a cornerback one. That kind of size, that speed. He's got some decent technique. Like that's a that's a huge steal in my mind. Yeah, I like that. Like I said, I had them written down too. Um, my number one on the things that I liked was Seattle. Uh, their class and their mm-hmm. picks. I, I liked Witherspoon at five uh, a lot, not only from the talent perspective, but like pairing him with Tariq Woolen is going to be nasty like next year. Like that's going to yeah. be instantly good. Besides that, they get my favorite receiver in the draft, JSN in the early twenties. And now you're looking at a wide receiver room of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and JSN for Gino to throw to. Uh, and as if that yeah. was not enough offensive weaponry, they have Ken Walker still at running back and they drafted Zach Charbonnet, uh, who's another running back that I like. So now you're talking about the offensive weapons being like Walker, Charbonnet, Lockett, JSN, Metcalf, uh, they're okay at tight end too. They have a very young offensive line that I expect to take a step forward this year. Like I it's May 2nd right now, and I'll reevaluate this before we get to the season, but uh, I'm probably gonna pick them to win the NFC West. Yeah. This, this draft no, class they, is a part of that. They added a shit ton of talent to this team, and like it it's real hard not to love everything they did. They just they just took guys that I like uh far later than I thought that they, they would go. Yeah, I mean that's a recipe for having a good draft class. So Chargers got Diane Henley in the third round. Not entirely shocked that he went in the third round. I thought his talent was obviously uh greater than that, but um, as I have been aggressively told over the last <laughs> several days, uh, off-ball linebacker is not that valuable. So, um, but I mean, anytime that you have a guy who is that quick, um, that athletic, and can be a tight end racer. And 
like be sideline to sideline for you in the run game, but also like be a major plus in pass defense. Like that's a fantastic pick. I don't care how early you take them because more and more teams are looking to decimate you with a tight end. So you probably want to get ahead of the curve and start figuring out how to take that away. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, My last thing that I really liked was uh, we trashed the Texans a lot earlier. And on the flip side of that equation is the Arizona Cardinals. Yes. Got their guy in Paris Johnson Jr. Like I, I thought if the Cardinals couldn't trade out of three, they would just just take Paris Johnson Jr. there. And it's not even that I really like Paris Johnson Jr. that much. It's just the fact that like you make the big trade down and pick up the Texans first round pick next year. You get yeah. 33, you get the third, like you you make the awesome mm-hmm. trade and then still get your guy. That's just good GMing, you know? And I, I just the fact that they potentially have the top two picks next year or like two top five picks next year. Yeah. In a top heavy class. It is a good day. If you're a Cardinals fan, I know you got to be patient and yeah. through what's going to be a shitty year, but it was a good day. Yeah. They, they didn't get got, they, they go get. <laughs> yeah. To, just uh... while they're sitting through this year, just, you know, think back on this when you're watching Caleb Williams throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Let's go to just a couple quick head scratchers or like things you didn't like. Uh, I know there's a certain NFC North team that you want to go off on. The Packers clearly don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. The Lucas Vanessa pick, I can kind of get behind. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily the pick that they needed at this time. Um, they went with positional value and with with the pass rusher, and that's fine, but he's the pass rusher who currently doesn't have a plan, so he's going to be developmental, much like with Sean Gary. Um, but you currently have a quarterback who's going to need some support. And I think they tried to find him support later in this draft, but that support was tight end Luke Musgrave, who, I don't know, like, for some reason, a lot of people like, but I don't know why, because he hasn't played football. In four years at Oregon State, he played 20 games. You play three playoff games in one season in the NFL, that's 20 football games. They spent their first, second round pick on a guy who is probably not going to play a lot of football for them. Honestly, there was probably still better tight ends available to them in the draft anyways at that moment in time. If that was a position that they really, really wanted to go with there, when it is a very, very deep tight end class. Um, They absolutely could have gotten someone else that would have been helpful there. And then somehow this one is even worse. They spent a fifth round pick on Sean Clifford, the quarterback from Penn State, who probably had a precisely a 0% chance of being drafted by any other team. 
because nobody thought he was a good college quarterback. I get that he has like the physical profile that teams like, but um, beyond that, he's not really shown anything as a quarterback on the field. And if you really liked him that much, you could have got him as a UDFA. I don't think there are going to be that many teams fighting you for him. It was a very Packersy draft. Like, yeah, are we at the point where we could just say like Packers going to pack in the draft? Because like, I they did this like last year and the year before too, where they like refused to get Rogers help. Yeah, it, it was so bad. I think it was last year on this podcast we looked at each other and we're like. Uh, yeah, I kind of don't blame Aaron Rodgers for being mad at them. <laughs> like, kind of makes sense. And then there was some thought this year that it's like, okay, they're going to Jordan Love. They're going to switch their strategy and they're going to like really get him some help, whether it's like Addison or JSN or whoever it is. And they just do the exact same thing they've done every year to another quarterback. I quickly like just a couple things I didn't like so that we have enough time for. Mm-hmm. Packers and Lions. Um, the Falcons taking <laughs> Bajan Robinson at eight. Uh, didn't love that. You have Algier and Patterson on your roster already. And it's like, I think Bajan's going to be awesome. And I think he could potentially mm-hmm. be super awesome in that scheme. But picking a running back at eight when you already have two good ones on your roster is like a extreme luxury pick for yeah. a team that has a lot of needs. And then you go through like the rest of their draft and it's like, not only did they not address their needs with the premium pick they had, they just didn't address their needs at all. Yeah. Like they take Matthew Bergeron in the second, who is like a developmental guard who is probably going to be like a penalty machine if they start him right away. Yeah. And just, just completely ignored what they needed. Didn't like that. Um, the commanders take Emmanuel Forbes uh, at 16 ahead of Christian Gonzalez. I We talked about Forbes like briefly. And the attractive thing about him was that he had a lot of INTs in college. Mm-hmm. You, do you want to know where a lot of those interceptions came from? Where? They came on plays where he got beat and the quarterback underthrew it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We talk about this on the podcast a lot is that like INTs can be a somewhat deceptive stat. Oh, for sure. I mean, Amani Oruwari just two years ago, right? I was thinking like Trayvon Diggs is like the prime example of this in the NFL is that he's like yeah. super overrated. That's a less severe yeah. version. Well, he's like super overrated because he gets so many INTs. But like if you're getting a lot of INTs, it means that quarterbacks are throwing at you and if people yep. are throwing at you there's typically a reason for that yeah and i think christian gonzalez is going to be really good mm-hmm. so i didn't love that and then um this is probably going to sound like sour grapes because it's an indivision team but uh and it's weird because dalton kincaid was on my my guys list and i really like yeah. him uh but for the bills to like completely ignore d-line and take another offensive weapon when like we talked about this, that one of the key reasons they lost to the Bengals in the playoffs last year was because they desperately needed D linemen. 
and you had like Maisie Smith, Miles Murphy, Brian Brees, Nolan Smith. Like there was a lot of really good players available at that spot. And they trade up to get Dalton Kincaid, who I think is going to be really good. And I think can be really good in that offense, but like you're strengthening a strength while just completely ignoring a weakness that lost you a playoff game last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not have gone that route. I see the value in what they did and for Josh Allen's sake, I'm somewhat excited for him because he's obviously seen the value that Travis Kelsey brings. And if he can get, you know, 90% of that from a tight end on his roster, then that makes him a hell of a lot more dangerous. This could have been mitigated and made a lot more easy to understand if they take someone like Keanu Benton in the second round. Keanu Benton would have been an incredible addition to that defensive line. And I say that knowing full well how biased I am. So I don't think there's a team in the league that couldn't have benefited from having Keanu Benton. Well, only one team is going to benefit from him, and that's going to be the Steelers. Um, Do you have any other head scratchers you wanted to touch on real quick before we go to our teams? Um, Yeah, so I guess I will uh, also throw out a head scratcher that strangely is um, one of my my guys. The Bears taking Darnell, right? The more I think about it, the way they run their offense. He's just not a scheme fit. I think he will be a solid player there because he's just talented enough to be that good. I think that when you're talking about asking him to do the things that they're going to ask him to do in the run game, I think there's going to be a lot left to be desired because they're not a gap power scheme type of team. They're going to ask him to get out and move in space. And at this point in time, he really likes to just get out and lunge when he's asked to do that stuff. And, you know, maybe he makes major improvements there, but what we see right now, like that is not what you should be asking him to do. And as much as I love him as a prospect, that makes me happy as a Lions fan. So, <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, speaking of the Lions, we're going to go to Homer Corner. So, uh, if you are only here for the unbiased part of this podcast, you can probably turn it off and tune in next week. But I'm never um, unbiased. <laughs> that's true. I try to be. Matt is like unabashedly a Homer. Like we're, I'm like head scratchers and he's like the bears, the Packers and the Vikings. I don't understand what any of them did. They all suck. Do you, you want to start with the Patriots first or the lions? Uh, you, you can start with the Pats. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the the Pats conversation is probably not as interesting as the lions one. Yeah. Uh, and I probably don't bang. Yeah. I probably don't have as much to say about the Pats as we're going to about the lions, but my overall thought on the Pat's draft class is like 
it's not what I would have done, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. Going defense in the first, second, and third round kind of indicates to me that they're like, we're good on offense. And I don't agree with that premise that you're good on offense. Uh, I do like, I like it from the perspective that like the defense was getting old and slow. And you look at who they have to play this year. They have Josh Allen twice. They have uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets offense twice. They have Miami twice. They have the Chiefs. They have the Chargers. Uh, mm-hmm. They amongst other teams like they their schedule is pretty like on a tangent. What kind of bullshit is this that we weren't even a playoff team last year and we have like the fourth hardest schedule? Like I, th- I thought you were supposed to get an easier schedule if you suck. Like, I don't understand that. <laughs> that makes zero sense and is major bullshit. But well, the, I it's don't... the crossover games yeah. that are a little bit easier. The fact that like we have the NFC or we have the AFC West as our division crossover mm-hmm. just unfortunately means that you're gonna get Herbert and Mahomes. Um we also have Dallas, we have the Eagles. This year, Pittsburgh, the Saints, uh, there, there's a lot of good quarterbacks and a lot of good offenses we're going to have to play. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots defense has been kind of like a paper tiger for a couple of years now, where when they play really bad teams, they look amazing. But when they play good teams and good quarterbacks, they just get torn to shreds. So I don't blame them for wanting to get younger, faster, I think about Christian Gonzalez, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, and Kyle Jugger being in my secondary for the next five to 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Bill. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of these other guys, Keon White, uh, honestly, not a dude I studied a ton before the draft. Yeah, he had- he's he's a bigger, like, heavy end. And, you know, you, you mentioned the Jets. I... I mean, I'll not get into my biased opinion of how their passing offense is going to be affected, but Brees uh, Hall is going to be back. Yeah, and, and well, you you've got to have like sturdy, solid guys on that line to be able to set the edge, hold their gaps, and like if you can't do that, then he's just going to run wild. Like if he gets to the second level those guys are in a really bad position. So adding, you know, D line and linebacker prospects is really huge for combating that. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Aaron Rodgers, but Garrett Wilson had a great season with Zach Wilson and Mike White. And no matter how you feel about Rodgers, he's better than those guys. So we're going to have to figure out how to guard Wilson and Brees Hall twice this year. Yeah. So uh, it's not great. But um, no. yeah, I, I like that. And then Marte Mapu, again, like another dude that I honestly did not study that much pre-draft. Um, but that's like the stereotypical build, like take a player that yeah. I've never heard of from a school that I didn't know existed. And he ends up being awesome and very versatile. So um, I like that. And then the last like. I guess the last couple of things, I don't mind the special teams picks. I know people are making fun of them, but I special teams is very important and it's been a 
huge part of Bill being in uh, New England. If you are second guessing Bill Belichick and special teams, you're an idiot. Like nobody knows special teams better than him. Yeah, it, maybe like I think the Christian Gonzalez pick is my favorite pick from this class, obviously getting a dude who's that like I've talked about this on the podcast multiple times that the biggest problem with the Pats since Tom Brady left and even the last year he was there is that they don't have a lot of blue chip elite talent Mm -hmm. so getting a guy at 17 who has that upside uh was exciting for me instead of taking like Cole Strange or something like that but yeah I mean the only reason he fell so far in our mock draft was like finding a place where he was a fit or like there was a place where he was a fit but like there was a much bigger pressing need and I mean he's a fit for what you guys do and he's got like premium upside talent so like I'm curious to see how that development goes because it's not that Bill doesn't develop guys. Like he develops them to a degree, but it almost feels like at least over the last, you know, handful of years, it's like I'm developing you for what I need you to be right now. And then like, we kind of don't get much beyond that. Um, But man, he's just got so much talent that I feel like you got to throw as much as you can at him because he can probably handle it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. And then the pick that I'm probably most excited for outside of the Christian Gonzalez pick is the fact that we got Keishon Bouti in the sixth round. Like, there's a 95% chance that he doesn't do anything in the NFL. But this was a dude who, going into the college football season this year, was a consensus first-round pick. Like he was one of the top receivers on most people's boards going into the season. And there's a lot of questions about what's between his ears. But like, it's just so stereotypical. Like this is just classic Bill Belichick. Take a dude who's obviously got a bunch of talent, but there's a lot of question marks about the off field stuff and Mm -hmm. like hone him and like focus him in and start using like Corey Dillon, Randy Moss. I could go on and on and on about all the guys he's done it with. I'm, and I'm not saying that like Booty is going to be that level of player. Well, like to get a guy, I mean, sixth round, seventh round, your dart throws and depth guys. Yep. Right. So I, I love that we took a dart throw on him and I'm super excited to see if he can do anything at the next level. Right. So I, I mean, overall, I'm just happy to be able to come on this podcast and just be like, yeah, but Something I'm, positive I'm, happened. I'm happy with the Pats <laughs> draft, right? Like, because last year I came on here and it was like Cole Strange. And I was just like, fudge. <laughs> I didn't like, I was just like, oh, God, I hate this. Um, so just to like have a good class and have some good picks and to not just be getting crapped on by the media. Mm-hmm. Like, I was pretty happy about that. So, well, let's go to your team. I'm going to try to speed through uh, some of the narrative stuff really quickly here. So obviously there's been a big conversation about positional value uh, with some of the picks that the Lions made. And 
when I look at what Grant Holmes has done in the past and how he's kind of like snagged players from right in front of other teams, um, what I see with this is Brad had a very strong read on where players were going to go in this draft. And he was absolutely in fucking love with Jameer Gibbs. And you got to keep in mind that even though he had DeAndre Swift on this roster, he is not on this roster because he plays like DeAndre Swift for two games a year. So they upgraded that position with Jameer Gibbs. They uh, fell in love with Jack Campbell. And again, another position that they are being kind of hit on for maybe not having the most value, but um, I literally heard uh, that franchise guy say like, he's like not athletically uh, Luke Keekly and their combine stats are like almost exactly the same. And I'm not saying he's going to be Luke Keekly, but no one's making you bring that conversation up and and you're, you're like dead wrong on that like Luke Keekley it was was like 700 of a second faster in the 40 and almost everything else was exactly the same um yeah well i just want to say too like i made that comp on this podcast for jack yeah. campbell is that i thought he was that type of dude yeah and like he, his footwork is incredible. He never takes a false step. I love him. Uh, I love Jack Campbell. Like he's going to be sideline to sideline in the run game, and he's going to be a positive in the pass game. He's not quite Diane Henley as in in pass coverage, but like he he played a big part in Stroud taking a lot of the like PR hit as a prospect. Because when you watch that Iowa game, like over and over again, Jack Campbell makes him look bad. Well, he's not, he doesn't have the upside of Dion Henley in the past game. But one of my favorite things about Jack Campbell was that he was PFF's highest rated linebacker in coverage last year. Mm -hmm. So he's very good in the past game. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, he, he's a better better player in zone than Diane Henley is right now. But uh man, between the two, it's really not close. Uh Henley's your guy there. Those were the two like most glaring needs right now. And I know that like we signed Montgomery, but if you watched the Lions last year, that offense was the best in the NFL when DeAndre Swift was playing like he could. And Jameer Gibbs's upside is even higher. So to get that taken care of, and then linebacker is the weakest position on the roster, and you get the number one player in the draft there, like you're filling needs. I get it. Positional value is the thing. But then you go in the second round and you get uh, – I feel like a lot of people have slept on Sam, Sam Laporta, but like his rate of forced missed tackles was the highest of any player in this draft. 
period. They get Brian Branch right after that, who like everyone would have loved for them at 12. Got to go back to this. Like this just tells me that Brad knew where these guys could be got. So he took the players he loved and was willing to take the chance that maybe someone else could take these guys, but he was pretty sure he was going to be able to get Brian Branch, which is like an absolute perfect fit for us. I, I was going to be okay with us taking him at six early out early on in the process. Uh, got Hennon Hooker to be a developmental quarterback behind Goff. We got, you know, like developmental nose tackle, a developmental tackle. Antoine Green is better known as, you know, that other guy from UNC. <laughs> uh, Drake May's other favorite target. Huge get for them in the seventh round because Jameson Williams is out and he is a big, deep threat and got huge value there in the seventh round, I think. Yeah, the, the one thing... I'll say about the Lions draft class. Uh, if you take the pick numbers completely out of it mm-hmm. and like where guys went and what they're getting picked, like whatever, just from a talent perspective and like a player perspective, I'd love the class. I honestly, I felt like what the Lions did was they listened to the My Guys podcast and they're like, hey, that Adam guy on that fouled out podcast, pretty smart took two of my guys and like honestly the only reason I didn't have Jameer Gibbs as one of my guys is like I was like okay I can't pick like yeah the top running back or like you know you can't like come mm-hmm. on the podcast you could be like but John Robinson is my guy <laughs> so yeah uh, I took Tajay Spears instead but I mean I love Jack yeah. Campbell Brian Branch is my favorite player in this draft mm-hmm. so to get him that late I didn't think there was any way he was getting to 45 so me, um, me either. I love the defensive versatility of adding those two guys to the D Yeah, like Brian branch can play at the line of scrimmage. He can play both safety spots. He can play the corner like outside corner. And I think that you guys are going to be creative enough with the two of them to use them. Like in our mock, mm-hmm. I had the Eagles taking the two of them and say, I said in the mock, I was like, listen, you get these two guys to rebuild that defense. Uh, I think all of a sudden you're making a push. Yeah. Um, And I, like, I'm not going to back off of that mm-hmm. now that you guys took them in different spots, but like, right. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. There's a report today that the, that they're going to use Gibbs as like a Alvin Kamara type of like, he's going to be in the backfield. Yeah. He's going to play some slot receiver. Oh, or yeah. Like there, there'll be some exciting stuff. Yeah. Brad was pretty that. open about that, that they don't just see him as a running back. Um, and with Jameson Williams missing, time too like it makes sense that like hey if we don't we feel like we're missing that blazing speed on the outside okay well Shamir Gibbs is the guy that has the blazing speed and he's a pretty good route runner like you know for a guy who plays running back let's use that and you know I also sit there and I'm thinking like okay we're at 12 are there really 12 other guys in this class that I truly believe are going to be better football players 
over the next five years than Jameer Gibbs. And I, it's like, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the way that you draft, but there's also a ton of people who are like, oh, well, you could have had this edge and that edge. It's like the road to getting playing time as an edge, a rookie edge on this Lions roster is the road through hell. That they would be competing with like veterans for the four and five slot in the Lions edge rotation. I think end of the day, you guys went against the grain and like, yep. I mean, I like Jameer Gibbs a lot. I, mm-hmm. I still can't sign off on taking a running back in the first round, especially in the top 15 yeah. picks. It's still tough for me, but it's just one of those things where like, if you're going to go this far against the grain, mm-hmm. you just have to be right. Yep. And if you're and right, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that it was the right call. I, I see why they did it. It's not what I would have done. And like, I'm willing to sit here and say like, Brad Holmes knows a hell of a lot more than I do. And I, I'm kind of looking at the, like these next few years as like, this is a thought experiment to like really challenge what I know and believe about draft philosophy and like not saying that a team like the Texans should ever take a swing like that. But if you are a strong roster and you believe that you're ready to make a push, like let's see how this, if the results of drafting these players, these next couple of years validates the decisions that were made because I think that we don't necessarily have enough data in the current draft world that we are in right now to say with zero doubt that what I, what we believed about positional value is entirely true for all teams. Last thought, but the Texans are trying to hit a home run with a wiffle ball bat. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to happen, guys. Yeah. But uh, but that is it for us. As always, Fouled Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, and you can find Matt on Twitter at Matador underscore defense. You can also find our videos on TikTok at Fouled Out Sports Podcast. It's a long name, but you can't miss it. Uh, really fun draft. We are going to be back next week with our friends Clint and Devin to talk Woo! NBA basketball. Uh, as a transition from talking about the NFL for the last month and a half to getting back into the NBA, I wanted to ask you a question real quick. Yeah. Who is scarier to go up against in a playoff game? Steph Curry or Patrick Mahomes? I obviously have been thinking Um, about this a lot, having to have watched my team play against Steph Curry seven times in the last two weeks. Yeah, as a mental health professional, I just want to say there's a lot of trauma in that question. I think I still got to say Mahomes. And that, like, it's neck and neck. But I think for me, the thing about Mahomes is just that, like, always just fast enough, right? No matter, no matter how fast the guy chasing him down is, he's always just fast enough, which means 
he's always going to make the play or have yeah. a chance to make it. I was thinking about this because I, I watched, I've been in the position to have watched my favorite football team play in yeah. an AFC championship game against Mahomes, and to have now watched uh, Steph Curry in a seven game playoff series. And just like, neither is fun, but let me tell you that I like it. Well, we're going to get really into this next week, but yeah. watching your favorite team play in a playoff series against Steph Curry is a completely different way to watch Steph Curry than you have ever watched Steph Curry. I, every single time I'm like, and no, this is not an exaggeration. Every single time he touched the ball on offense, my stomach dropped. He needs so little space. Mm -hmm. Just so little, like just infinitesimally small space to hit a three in your face. And like, he's impossible to stop. He's impossible to stop. And so I was thinking over the weekend, I was like, God, there is no scarier athlete to play in a playoff game. And then I was like, eh, Mahomes is definitely up there for me too. So I think it's an interesting question. I couldn't think of anybody else to put in that question. Like there, there's nobody in baseball. There's nobody in hockey. No. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that someone would push for like Connor McDavid in hockey, but like he hasn't ever achieved anything yet. So like, we'll hold off on that. But yeah, I just don't, you, you don't want to play Steph Curry in a playoff series. I mean, like at least if it's Mahomes, it's one game and it's done. <laughs> just that, one. you know, that's a fair point. If you're talking about it from the the fan the the standpoint of a fan, like, well, I, I meant it's, more. It's worse. It's like the one game. <laughs> At least you're you're ripping the bandaid off. But if you have to watch that for seven games, <sighs> I meant more from like a one game perspective, like Steph yeah. in a game seven or Mahomes in a playoff game to make right. it fair. But yeah, so. Uh, but we'll be back next week to talk more NBA basketball. Super excited to get back into the playoffs. Um, so everybody enjoy the games this week, and we will see you soon. Yep. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Robin. Bye, Bye, Bye.